0: Mark chapter 2, and let's begin reading in verse 13, where the Bible says, And he went forth again by the seaside. We'll comment on this a little bit in a moment. But he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi... The son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. This is one of those striking moments when Jesus called somebody from where they were, doing their business with their occupation, and he immediately responded. He arose and followed him. It came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole... Have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray as we get into scripture. All right. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless as we study. Help us to give ourselves, our attention, our thoughts, our minds, our heart to your word and to what you have for us today. We want to learn. We want to grow we want to be changed. We need to be changed. We want to be changed by the Word of God today. So please speak, help us to listen, and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just to kind of backtrack briefly, in Mark chapter 1, we're introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was, came to John the Baptist, who was baptizing in the Jordan River. And, and there Jesus was baptized In verse 16 of chapter 1, if you look there momentarily, it says, Now as as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, that was Jesus' MO, so to speak. He was just walking along by the Sea of Galilee. There he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. He called them to follow him. And then in verse 19, he saw James and John, sons of Zebedee. He called them. Verse 21 says, They went into Capernaum. And there at Capernaum, he begins this uh, ministry of healing and teaching and delivering people. And, and, uh, and then if you look in verse 28, it says his fame began to be spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And, and then a few verses later, um, they they encouraged him to continue to stay there in that region. But verse 38 is a key verse. It says... Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And then he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee. So we see Jesus is, he'll come to Capernaum. That's his headquarters, so to speak. That's where he he stayed more than any other place. Then he would travel around uh, Galilee, preaching and ministering. And then we'd come back. And so here, come back to Capernaum. So there we see him leaving out and going to Galilee. But chapter 2 and verse 1, again he entered into Capernaum. And there we've been dealing with that the last few weeks, how Jesus was there in Capernaum. But then in verse 13, as we read today, he goes out again. He went forth again by the seaside. And as he's doing it, he's ministering by the Sea of Galilee. Sort of as he goes, he's teaching and ministering. And it says in verse 13, the multitudes resorted unto him. Multitudes of people have been attracted to him. And what did he do in verse 13? The last part of the verse, he taught them. That's what Jesus' primary emphasis was. And I've said this before. We give a lot of attention to his healing, the miracles that Jesus performed, feeding the 5,000 you know, healing those that were blind, raising the dead, lepers were healed. But his primary, and it's worth repeating, his primary focus was on teaching the Bible, on, on giving out the Word of God. And as he's doing that, in verse 14, it says in language, it's just sort of indicative of the way he ministered. As he passed by, as he was going along his journey, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, so, let's think a bit about the name Levi. We know that that's one of the 12 uh, tribes of Judah, Levi. And uh, he's, he's going to become a prominent person in the ministry of Jesus. If you look, this by the way, this record of what we're reading is recorded in Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. But in Matthew's Gospel, he does not call him Levi. He calls him Matthew. Levi was his given name. And probably Matthew was the name given after he became a follower of Jesus, after he became an apostle. The name Matthew means gift of God. So this Levi, in verse 14, is indeed Matthew. And if you look in Mark chapter 3, if you just flip the page over maybe, where Jesus is ordaining the twelve. This is when he sent the twelve apostles out. In verse 14, he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach. And he begins to give their names in verse 16: Simon, and then verse 17: James and John, and then in verse 18: Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew. So, this Matthew, Levi, we're reading about here in Mark chapter 2, would eventually become one of the twelve, one of the apostles, and In case you're not thinking ahead this morning, he would give us the first of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here we're seeing a man sitting at the receipt of custom, minding his own business, doing his job, and Jesus calls him, and he responded, and no one but Jesus could know what that response would eventually mean. He would not only become a follower of Jesus, he would become one of the 12 apostles, he would become the one of the writers who would give us the record, the gospel of Matthew of the Lord Jesus Christ. And To me, it just speaks to us, to me, on a practical level about how when we respond to Jesus, we have no clue where that might end up, how God might work in our life how God might use our life. And we could say, he could have been sitting there that morning thinking, you know, my life will never really amount to much. And we may seem think the same thing. But the most important thing to do with our life is to give it to Jesus Christ. To let him have his way in our life. So it tells us in Mark chapter 2 and verse 14 that uh, he saw... Um, Levi, or Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. That's the language of verse, uh, verse uh, 14. Sitting at the receipt of custom. Now that was his job. That was his occupation. Uh, I mentioned earlier that this same account of uh, his calling is also found in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke ta- calls, tells us what his real profession was. He was known as a publican. Not a republican, but just a... Publican. He was a publican, and he and a publican was like a tax collector. Everybody would like them. They they would sit at this like a toll booth or something, and there they would they would record record as people would pay their tolls or pay their taxes. And we know from the Bible a lot about the publicans. They were number one. They were a notoriously dishonest. They would accept, take and accept bribes. They were, they, would, they, were, they were known for this. It was a reputation. It was a scandalous profession. Typically, they were despised. They were despised because of their occupation. They were despised because of their reputation. And yet Jesus called him. It's a reminder that God is no respecter of persons. You know, sometimes he will call the least likely candidate, the least likely person. And here was a man who, who whether he was, we don't know if he was a uh, dishonest person, but we know other publicans in the Bible that were. A dishonest people and had to make that right after they got their heart right with God. But we know that he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did Jesus say to him? We're still in, in uh, Mark chapter 2 and verse uh, 14. Two words, the Bible says, he, Jesus said, follow me, follow me. By the way, Jesus always initiates his work in our life. I don't always understand everything I read in the Bible. You know, for instance, it says in in, uh, Romans chapter 3, No man seeketh after God. And you say, but I've sought after the Lord, but I've, I've learned from the Bible that if you started seeking God, it's because God started doing something in you prior to that. Jesus always initiates that work. He seeks us, then we seek Him. I was never seeking after God until God started working in my life. Now, I didn't understand what God was doing, but God was working in my life. And I never sought Him until He sought me. He seeks us, then we seek Him. He, By the way, He finds us, then we find Him. Someone says, well, I found God. You only found God because He was working in your life. I'm reminded of a passage in Isaiah that says, I am sought of them, this is God, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. And I'm just glad today for the day he started working in my life. When he started seeking me and helping me know that I need to be seeking him. And what was the invitation again in verse 14? He basically just said two words, follow me. It's not complicated, is it? Follow me. And by the way, that is the same call, the same invitation that every person in this room has today. To follow Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus was no stranger, I'm sure, to Matthew or to Levi. He had been in that region. Crowds were following him. And I can assume, and I think safely assume, that Levi had been taken with the teaching of Jesus, that he had been impressed with that, that God was working in his life, Perhaps, we don't know, perhaps it even been contemplating what it would be like to be a disciple of Jesus. And maybe people are like that today. You're not really a follower of Jesus, but you've thought about it. What it would be like to really get my life on track, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it would be like if I began to really let God direct my life and have his way in my life. And in my mind, I'm thinking that Matthew must have been thinking along those lines. For Jesus to say two words, follow me. And Matthew's response was immediate and decisive. Notice what the Bible says in verse 14. And he arose and followed him. You don't become a follower of Jesus young person, by thinking about following Jesus. You don't become a follower of Jesus by contemplating following Jesus. You don't become a follower of Jesus by admiring others who are following Jesus. You become a follower of Jesus by deciding this is what I'm gonna do with my life. I wanna be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he arose, the Bible says, And followed him. Now keep in mind. He wasn't at church. He wasn't listening to a sermon. He was at work. He was doing his job. He was probably feeding his family. Caring about his responsibility. But when Jesus said follow me. He got up from his seat. And he began to follow Jesus. And his life would never ever be the same. And by the way, when we really follow Jesus with our life, it changes us. He changes us. And so, he begins to follow him. Look in verse 15, if you would please. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house. Now, the pronoun his, you could think, well, maybe that's Jesus' house. But it's not, it's Matthew's house. As a matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, it said this, Levi made him a great feast in his house. So it wasn't like they were prepared for him. Jesus called him, he went home, they prepared a great feast. And so Jesus sat at meat in his house. And notice this, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus And his disciples, for they were many and they followed him. So Levi asked Jesus to come over for dinner and they prepared this great feast. Now, just think with me. I think it's good when we're reading the Bible if we think. I mean, just think about this invitation that this brand new disciple, this brand new follower, extends to Jesus to come to his house. And I think we can take away several things from that. First of all, Matthew wanted to spend time with Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, he's invited him over for dinner. He wanted to spend time with Jesus. Surely he would want to introduce Jesus to his family and his friends. He didn't just want to feed him. He wanted others to know about Jesus. And... We can can assume by this. We can can not just assume. We we can be certain about this. Matthew was not in any way ashamed to be seen with Jesus. His whole perspective of life had changed. He wanted wanted others in his family to know who Jesus was. And I have to believe that for Matthew to extend, I'd feel kind of awkward to be honest with you, knowing who I am, to invite Jesus over to my house. You know what I'm saying? I mean someone of such honor. Someone such of such majesty. To have them in our house. But I know he'd like it. Because my wife is an outstanding cook. But, but still you would feel awkward about inviting Jesus to your house. So Matthew must have felt that Jesus would be inclined to come to his house. And by the way, that's the way Jesus is. He makes us know we're accepted. He makes us know we're welcome in his presence. And notice who else was there. Let's look again in verse 15. Jesus is there. Matthew is there. Obviously, Matthew's family, we can assume. But look in verse 15. In his house, in his house were many publicans. Not just one publican or a few publicans, but there were a lot of Publicans, And you know why? That's what he was. He was a publican. So obviously Matthew would have many publican friends. Doesn't it stand to reason that a person who just got to know the Lord would want his family and friends to know the Lord that means so much to him? So there's many, many publicans. And then it says in verse 15, there are not only many publicans, Publicans is as many publicans and sinners. So they're not just a lot of publicans, they're also a lot of sinners. Now that's a phrase that, a word that we see periodically in the gospel, this word "sinners," because a, a person who read this the first time might think, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, weren't the publicans sinners? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't the family members of Matthew sinner? Wouldn't, wouldn't Matthew himself be considered a sinner? But in the Bible, usually when it talks about sinners, it's talking about noted sinners. Sinners of reputation. Sinners who were known to be sinners. It wasn't just a sinner like anybody in this room is a sinner. These were, these were renowned sinners. And usually they were despised sinners. So you have a lot of sinners that are noteworthy sinners. Then you have a lot of publicans that were despised. By the way, it tells you a lot about Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is still a friend of sinners. He's not a friend of sin. He's not a friend of the world. But Jesus cares about sinners. And so in this room you have, in verse 15... You have publicans and sinners. And then it says also, Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. There were many disciples. Now, we don't know how many many is, but there were many disciples. They followed him. Disciples followed him. Wherever Jesus went, they wanted to be. Wherever Jesus was, if he was healing, if he was teaching... Wherever he was, disciples wanted to be. They wanted to learn about him. They wanted to learn from him. By the way, I, we've, we've emphasized this so much in recent months in our church. This is the primary characteristic of a disciple. They are a follower of Jesus. They're attracted to Jesus. They want to spend time with Jesus. A disciple is a learner. They want to learn about Jesus. And if you're thinking at this last Sunday of this year about the new year and the possibilities for your life and maybe making some positive changes. It it seems like a very simple suggestion, but it could be transforming. Just commit to being a follower of Jesus, learning about Jesus, applying the word of God. It'll change your life. So when Jesus went to Matthew's house, it wasn't just Matthew and his family. There were other Publicans there, these people who were looked down upon and despised, there were people there who were renowned in that community as being sinners, and there were a lot of disciples there. What a diverse group. And yet this is the kind of group that you would find with Jesus. Let's move on, verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners... They said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, the Bible doesn't say that the scribes and Pharisees were in the house. I tend to believe they weren't in the house because scribes and Pharisees would not hang out with publicans and sinners, they were too holy, they were too spiritual. They would not, it would be beneath them. Scribes and Pharisees, in case you don't follow the Bible too much, these were religious people. Scribes were experts at the law, the law particularly of God. Pharisees, one of the strictest sects of the Jewish community, and they would not have been with these scribes, and uh, these publicans and sinners, but verse 16 says, they saw him eat with them. They saw this happening. And they found this very troubling. This is disturbing. That Jesus is in the house with Matthew and his family and a bunch of publicans and a bunch of sinners. And so they went to his disciples. And they asked him. They didn't go to him. They asked them. Why? Why is it, verse 16 that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners. How can he do this? And so Jesus, as he often would, he addressed their criticism. And this is what he said in verse 17. I hope you're looking in your Bible. Jesus said very simply, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He also said in verse 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. So Jesus, in answering their criticism, he he addresses that by really referring to himself as a physician. I'm like a doctor. And they that are whole, they that are well, they that have no medical issues, really don't need a doctor you know, I don't know how it is with you, but generally I don't go to the doctor if everything seems to be okay, right? I don't just like going to the doctor. And if I go to the doctor, uh, it's usually because something's, I think something might be wrong. And sometimes I think it might be seriously Wrong for me to go to the doctor. Jesus said, look what he said. They that are whole have no need of the physician. So he's he's presented himself as the physician. By the way, I'm not going to look back at it. But we have this record of in these other visits and homes where the entire village would be coming out to see Jesus. And he'd be healing all of them. Casting out devils, healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the lepers. He did that sort of thing. But here he's not talking about man's physical illness he's talking about something more serious even than a physical illness he's talking about a spiritual illness and you know what today we may give a lot of attention to our physical needs and our aches and pains and the older we get the more of them we we may have but there are other hurts and other diseases that are far more important, emotional hurts and diseases, but particularly spiritual sicknesses. But I want to tell you today, Jesus is the healer of broken hearts, and Jesus is the healer of broken lives. And so, these publicans and and these publicans and sinners, these people who were looked down upon, these people who were the object of scorn and criticism, they need they. You know why they were in this room with Jesus? Because they felt like he might have something they need. They were sick. They were spiritually sick. And Jesus is still the physician for sinners. For people who are... Matter of fact, if I was reading yesterday in Isaiah 53, refreshing my memory, where it talks about the coming of the Messiah. And it says, with his stripes we are healed. And it's not talking about just healing us of pneumonia or some kind of physical sickness. It's about a spiritual sickness. And all sinners are sick. And by the way, just for the record, all of us are sinners. And all of us have this sick. We're not just sick, we're terminally ill. We have a disease that nothing else can fix. We're in need of spiritual healing. And only people who are sick and know they're sick need a physician. And Jesus is the great physician. You know, I I, this may seem too too simple. It may seem uh, too idealistic, but I want to tell you today: for what's wrong in our lives spiritually, there is only one cure, and that's Jesus Christ. And He is the cure. For whatever is wrong in a person's life spiritually, he is the cure. He's the only cure. Jeremiah said this, return ye backsliding children and I will heal your backslidings. You say, well, I just keep, I keep t- putting two steps forward and three steps back. No matter how much I try to improve my walk with God, it seems like I keep messing up. I'm telling you, Jesus is the healer of spiritual problems in our life. Come to church, is good to hear about Jesus, but the church can't change your life. Only Jesus can. And a person who doesn't know they're sick doesn't really have that interest or that, that impulsion to come to Jesus Christ. Take, for instance, the other group of people there, the critics, the ones who were there, the scribes and Pharisees. You know, I'm not an expert on the Bible, but I've read it a lot of times. I've read the New Testament, the Gospels many times. You never see scribes and Pharisees who felt like they needed anything spiritually. They They don't have a hunger, they don't have a desire, they don't have an interest in doing anything positive. They find fault with people, they criticize people, they look down their ceremonial uh, nose with people, but they don't really have a heart for helping people, and they don't have a heart for knowing that they need help. They were hypocrites. Scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites. They saw themselves as righteous. They could point out what's wrong in the other people's lives, but they never had this heart that sat at the feet of Jesus and said, I desperately need something that only you can give. That's not the way they were. There's a big difference. Jesus taught a lesson in Luke chapter 18 where he said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a publican and one was a Pharisee. This is how the Pharisee prayed. I thank thee that I am not as other men art. I fast twice a week. I do this. All these things he did. Praying. Praying as though he was okay. Praying as there was no problem in his life. And you know what? He was a hypocrite. He was an actor. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. But he wasn't the only one that prayed. The other one that prayed was a publican. And the Bible says he wouldn't even look up toward heaven. But he smote himself. And he said these simple and yet sincere and profound words. God be merciful to me a sinner. And then Jesus asked, which one of these two men you think went away justified? Who do you think it was? The man who who looked down disrespectfully and without compassion to others, who lifted himself up and put others down? Do you think that man got anything from God? No. By the way, that kind of attitude still doesn't get anything from God. But the one that got something was humble and realized he he knew he was sick and he needed something. And Jesus is always there for a person who's sick and knows that they need something something from the Lord. Let's conclude by looking again at verse 17 where Jesus summarized his mission, the last part of verse 17. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now these Pharisees and scribes were not righteous in true righteousness. They just saw themselves as righteous. To them, they were okay. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. But He came to call sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. The thing that generally brings depraved people to Jesus in humility is the awareness of how desperately they need Him. How desperately... Could you imagine for a moment, and we have people that we love that are battling with terminal illnesses as I speak. And without a miracle from God, there is no medical hope. There is no medical answer. Imagine a person in that position who would not, if there was healing available, who would reject it. No one would, right? Nobody would. And I'm telling you, when a person sees themselves as they are spiritually, bankrupt, destitute, desperate, on their way to a devil's hell, when they see themselves that way and they understand that someone has already paid the price for their forgiveness and their healing, Who would reject that? You know who rejects it? Those who don't really see how much they need it. I'm telling you, he came to save sinners. He came to call sinners. People can't be saved until they see themselves as sinners. Sinners. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why a person ought to read their Bible. It's one of the reasons why a person ought to come to church is to hear the Bible, to understand how we are. It's not the preacher that says we need a spiritual change. It's Jesus that says we need a spiritual change. He came to call sinners. If you think you're okay the way you are, you're wrong. If you think you're okay the way you are without being right with God, you're wrong. You're not okay, but that false assumption keeps you from the mercy of God because you think you're okay. He came to call sinners to repentance. He didn't come to call sinners to make excuses for their sins, He didn't come to call sinners to blame others for their sin. He didn't call sinners to minimize their sin. It's not all that bad. Everybody else is worse. Everybody else has made mistakes. I'm not the only one. He didn't call sinners to justify or make. He called sinners to repentance. To repent. You know what repentance means? To change your attitude. Change your attitude about your sin. Change your attitude about your life. Quit focusing on everybody else and start saying, I am the one. I I'm the one that needs salvation. It's not like that song we used to sing as I when I was a kid. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's one thing to say, I know I'm a liar. And I use that because all of us are liars, have been liars. It's one thing to say, I know I'm a liar. But it's another thing to say, I I know I'm a liar and I hate myself for it. You say, you shouldn't hate yourself. Job, the most righteous man in in his day, said, and I saw myself and I abhorred myself. You see, a lot of people can say, oh, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Everybody sins. But I tell you, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a repentant attitude about our sin and a repentant attitude about Him. We have that familiar teaching in the Gospel of Luke where the prodigal son, who is a picture of repentance, the whole context is about repentance. Jesus calling sinners to repentance. And this prodigal son, think about this, He, he was living out there, away from the Father's house, living in sin, being wasted by his... Foolish decisions. And the Bible says this, he came to himself. And that's what many people need, a moment when they come to themselves and they quit looking at others and blaming other people or making excuses or procrastinating or putting it off or just hoping that God will somehow overlook their rebellion and come to themselves and say, he said, I've been such a foolish person. I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm not going to tell him how good I've been. I'm going to repent to him and say, have mercy on me. And and it's a great picture of repentance. He wanted to be restored to the father. He was willing to acknowledge his sin, confess his foolish deeds. And he knew he couldn't save himself, but he knew he could be restored. Jesus came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. So I love this story. I love the fact that Jesus called this man who was a despised man, a publican. And Jesus went into the house with many publicans, many sinners, many disciples. And probably on the outside, these religious hypocrites sat criticizing, finding fault. But on the inside, we see Jesus for who he is. A friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Loving the despicable. Caring for the diseased. Spiritually diseased. Giving hope to people. That's the way Jesus is. And I want to tell you today, if by chance you are in such a place that you really see yourself as you are, a guilty sinner before God, undeserving of God's mercy and grace. And yet you see that Jesus is the great physician. He can heal. He can heal what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. Aren't you glad about that today? And you ought to come to him today. You ought to ask him today. You ought to ask him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by the way, if you're not there yet, if, if, if you don't see it that way, and, and please understand, I'm not trying to convince you of my way. I'm trying to explain to you what I see in the Bible. Is God's. If you don't see it that way, then you ought to be saying, God, help me to see it that way. Help me to see myself like I really am. Because he didn't come to heal the righteous. He came to save sinners, call sinners to repentance. I hope you'll do that. And I also hope this, and I pray for this, that whoever you are and wherever you are in your stage of life, that you'd realize that Jesus is calling you to follow him. He's calling you. He may not be calling you to leave your job, leave your occupation, but he's calling you to follow him. And Today would be a good day to say, Lord, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus.